0: Will you pray with me from the Psalms? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. I'll begin this morning with some words from the writer T.S. Eliot. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. In the Gospel story today, we join Jesus and the disciples as they are getting closer and closer to the most dramatic moments of the story. According to the Gospel John, Jesus is the word and wisdom present with God from the very beginning. Jesus is the great I am and the light of the world. But today's passage brings us confusing news. First, the guy who has mostly worked with the descendants of Israel is approached by some Greeks, some lovers and seekers of wisdom, of course, but they are clearly not Jewish. And then he answers in paradoxes. My last hour of life will be when I'm glorified. The death of a seed means it can be fruitful. Those who love life will lose it, and those who hate life will keep it. And the list goes on. Even a mysterious voice from heaven shows up. Not to mention that just before this passage, Jesus the King arrives in the holy city on a ridiculous donkey, and his friend Mary anoints him with beautiful scents. Isn't this a bit outrageous? Especially when there are clearly more important practical things to do. As a disciple, I might be a bit exasperated at this point, like, Jesus, can you just get to the point? We're starting a new movement here, and we're going to change the world. You're bringing this amazing kingdom, right? How about we just sort of skip all this death and loss, all these weird metaphors and signs, and get right to the point of this new world you're bringing. Additionally, we might wonder who Jesus' news is directed at. He's, directing, he, he's addressing a kind of religious outsider, the Greeks. And we might wonder what the point of this is. He also says that anyone who follows and serves him will be honored by the Father. And later in the passage he says, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all people to myself. No real qualifications there, just Jesus driving out the ruler of this world in judgment. And drawing in all the people. Jesus seems to be signaling something about who his audience is. So here we are at the precipice of something cool and new happening, and yet Jesus wants to point to and highlight death, and that those who choose to follow him will also experience loss. In Jesus' story, there's a literal death coming, but there are ways that this passage can speak beyond just literal death. Many of us face all kinds of endings and beginnings, real and metaphorical deaths and rebirths. I have been looking forward with great excitement to starting as pastor here at PMC and dreaming of all the ways that I can connect and share with this community. And the church also has many new things, hopes, and dreams to look forward to. We have celebrated 100 years of this church. Wow. And the next 100 years of PMC history is just beginning. The world and our communities are hopefully pulling out of the COVID-19 pandemic. You've got a new pastor starting and all sorts of potential ways to be church together. These past weeks, as I was getting oriented to the church, my office, and the work of PMC, I happened to find a newsletter from our larger conference, the Pacific Northwest Mennonite Conference. In it was a letter from our conference minister, Eric Massaneri, who was also just beginning in his role. He wrote that the grain of wheat verse has been important for him in his ministry and is something he'll carry with him in this new role. I was inspired by Eric's words and struck by how timely this could be for all of us today. In this installation service, we are celebrating many beginnings, but these beginnings also line up with endings. Eric writes that these words from John remind him of the transforming, enlivening power of Christ's love and the truth that all transformation and growth inevitably brings endings as well as new beginnings. So. Here we are, as a church, just on the cusp of Advent, and in the the liturgical year, this is the end. Today marks the end of the liturgical cycle, so we can begin again in Advent, waiting for Jesus to be born. In places that follow the lectionary more strictly, this is Christ the King Sunday, and helps us to close out the cycle with an eye toward God in Christ as the King of all creation. Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, as we read in Revelation. In the lectionary passage for for today from Colossians, which we didn't read this morning but is in the bulletin if you want to look at it, we see Christ present and supreme in the beginning, in sustaining us, and in death. As we end the liturgical year, we are held by Christ the King, as we look forward with excitement and anticipation to the coming beauty and celebration of Advent and Christmas, the start of the liturgical year. We all might want to stay focused on these exciting beginnings and the beautiful things to come, but as T.S. Eliot reminds us in his poem, as well as Jesus with the grain of wheat, there is something important about endings. While some endings are clear and prominent, other endings can be hard to notice or recognize. We might just want to skip over them to get to the newness. I wonder what good could come to us for paying attention to the endings that give way to our beginnings. So uh, back to the grain of wheat and the paradoxical Jesus. There are ways that I have heard this passage uh, made into meaning that don't really work very well for me anymore. One of these ways might be to say we must die to ourselves and follow Jesus even through super difficult things. In the bits of more evangelical background I picked up, this might mean that we are sinful at core and must believe exactly the right things to follow Jesus. Or from my more prominent Mennonite background, the action part is key. You can never be doing enough service to follow Jesus. (laughs) Both of these are pretty hard to live into in a kind of literal and ultimate way, such as the words dying or hating your life suggest to me. For me, these kinds of understandings at times propelled me towards a kind of burnout or lack of awareness of what my actual needs or desires were. There are also ways this reading could play into a kind of dualistic theology that separates all that is good and spiritual from all that is bad and of the world. Good spiritual, bad world. For many reasons, I don't really ascribe to that kind of binary understanding of God and the world, so I look for other ways to understand this. As I mentioned before, John is full of paradoxes, this passage, If we take it in its whole context, we can start to see that paradox is used here as a tool to show us how different Jesus is from what he calls the ruler of this world. Jesus, the king, rides a donkey. His worst moment is when he is glorified through God. On the contrary, the rulers of this world— the powers and principalities or the things that seem to be good in this world will be judged by Jesus. And Jesus himself didn't seem to hate his life in the world. He seemed to have quite a good time eating with people and enjoying parties and even creating more wine. It seems people must have noticed this because he rep- that Jesus was enjoying his life because he reported in Matthew and Luke that his detractors called him a glutton and a drunkard. Finally, many translate the Son of Man reference in this passage and throughout the Gospels as the human one or the true human being. Jesus represents the core goodness that God created in us humans. With all of that said, I think the First Nations version of this passage gives us a meaningful way to hear this today. The ones who love The kind of life this world gives will lose the life they seek. But the ones who let go of their life in this world and follow my ways will find the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. And interestingly, perhaps this grain of wheat dying has more to do with how we need to re- set our imaginations for the new world. The disciples in the story could not have even imagined what would come after Jesus' death. Resurrection is just not a thing before or after Jesus, and the kind of kingdom Jesus draws us to doesn't have a parallel in this world. Who of these disciples could have imagined Jesus dying and rising again? But perhaps they did imagine what what the trajectory of Jesus' life might be—continued travels with his buddies, preaching to the crowds, fishing trips, miracles, and more, maybe some larger social changes. But their imaginations were not ready for the immensity of what would happen. And they might also have wanted to hold on to what Jesus, the living human, was for them. The opening of Jesus' audience to the Greeks and drawing all people to him points to what is to come, but for the disciples it would be impossible to peek into the future and see where Jesus' good news would actually travel and for whom it would be adopted as good news. In order to move into a new beginning, these disciples needed for their normal patterns and habits and sense of order to die. They needed to mourn the loss of what Jesus was, to live in the space of disorientation in order to be ready for something bigger, something that might stretch beyond their current worldview into a completely new paradigm. Now, these words of Jesus are pointing us to something important for our own lives and the ways that we hope to live into the kingdom of God today. No matter how excited we are about new beginnings in our lives, there may also be things we love that need to change or be transformed. And it is in the space of mourning losses that we can be open to newness. Giving ourselves space for grief can be healing and regenerating. Adrienne Marie Brown, who is a writer and activist in the realm of race, gender, and economic liberation, writes, We are learning so much about how grief moves in us individually and collectively. We know we must get good at grief because change, both the kind we want and the kind we dread, requires a letting go. When we really sit with the truth of change and how much of it is beyond our control and how much we try to control we can begin to let go of the misguided idea that we are in control, or that control should even be our goal. When we notice our endings and losses, we can make space for that grief. As we make changes to move into the future that we want, we may have to let go of things. In our larger context of climate change and economic disparity, This is important, but I think this is especially true after the global pandemic we have survived. Although one of the trickiest things about the pandemic has been our lack of ability to definitively declare an ending. Perhaps we have all declared our own endings, but I know that just not wearing my mask will not make it end. What is certain is that we have all experienced loss at some level, or duration during this global crisis. I continue to ask how we can honor, heal, and move through the losses we experienced during this time. As a church community, our life may also look very different after this pandemic. One important event we have coming up that purposefully makes space for our endings, our grief, Loss and sadness, in the midst of the excitement of Advent, is the longest night service. This service traditionally happens on December 21st, which is the day that has the least sunlight, or the longest night of the year. It is often a space that is purposefully created amidst the joy of Advent to allow for sadness and mourning that some may carry. But I think this is a space that could be healing for any or all of us. Holding space for these endings and beginnings together, we can remember today that Christ is King of all our transitions. God is with us in our suffering and joy and times of change. We know that Jesus experienced the unjust suffering of this world and will stand by us in ours. The Colossians passage from the lectionary reminds us that Christ is before, in, and after everything. And the Psalms from the lectionary we read today that God is our refuge, even when the earth itself changes and the mountains fall. When we allow space to let go of what has died, what we have lost, God will hold us. Christ as king, like no king of this world, will be there, renewing, recreating, and regenerating, even in ways that we cannot yet imagine, putting our trust and hope in this rebirth, despite the disorientation we might feel in our endings and beginnings, can hold us steady as we allow space for grief, sit with the unknown. And open our imaginations to the world beyond what we know. The song we are about to sing, you can open your hymnal to number 828 if you want to see it, for me it brings to life some of these things I have just said. In the chorus, the words say, The future is dim, but we want to live in to a wild, wild hope. For me, the future being dim doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad. It may or it may not be, but I see this as an indication that we just cannot see it very well. I love the way the song uses natural imagery for God to call us into rebirth and newness. For this day and installation service, my hope for us is that as we all notice and allow space for our various endings, we can begin to dream together. In the space of newness and loss of control, together we can allow our imaginations to expand to a wider world and to the coming Shalom Kingdom, where Christ is the unimaginable King.